Coming to you on location from Washington, D.C., I'm Anthony. And I'm Cece. And you're listening to Lit Pop Bang. Thanks for joining us for another episode. We have a really special guest today. We're so excited to welcome Elizabeth Acevedo to the podcast today. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a great one. It's We're wrapped up with Poetry Month. And we're looking forward, but we're still, of course, focused on focused on poets. We are. Uh, Cece, why don't you give us a bio? Yeah. So here's uh, Elizabeth's official bio here. Elizabeth Acevedo was born and raised in New York City, and her poetry is infused with Dominican bolero and her beloved city's tough grit. She holds a BA in the performing arts from the George Washington University and an MFA in creative writing from the University of Maryland. She has graced stages both nationally and internationally. Acevedo is a National Slam champion, champion, Beltway Grand Slam champion, and the 2016 Women of the World Poetry Slam representative for Washington, D.C., where she placed eighth eighth in the world. Her poems have been published or are forthcoming in poetry, which I also read, um, Puerto de la Sol, I think, Callaloo, the Notre Dame Review, and others. Acevedo is a Cave Canem Fellow, a Cantamundo Fellow, and a participant of the Callaloo Writers Workshop. She is also the author of the chapbook Beast Girl and Other Origin Myths from Yes Yes Books in 2016, and also the lovely New York Times best-selling novel that we're going to talk about today called The Poet X, and that comes from Harper Collins, 2018. So, there it is, your <laughs> illustrious bio. We're so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, yeah, thanks so much for coming on. And that's sort of your official bio, but we always ask after we read the official bio, what else do you want people to know about you, either as a writer or a person? Like, who are you also beyond that? Oh, man. Um, you know, I fit a lot in that bio. So. <laughs> right, right. This is, this is kind of your work bio, yeah. though. Do you garden? Do you, um, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Any, any funky things that you want to you wanna add? Um, both my parents are from the Dominican Republic. I come from massive families. My mom is one mm. of 15. Wow. I have counted this this past weekend, 54 first cousins. Wow. Um, and so <laughs> I am continuously influenced by my family and the ways in which kids who can come from the same parents, you know, when they're 25 years apart can be remarkably different. Um, I do like to garden. I love to cook. Oh. Um, I just bought a house in Southwest DC. And oh, so I'm learning the ins and outs. Thank you. Yeah. Of being, you know, a, a homeowner. Home, yeah. A homeowner with a, a spot that hasn't been renovated since 1967. Oh. And so. So you're working. <laughs> you're, 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 I'm, you're, I'm watching a lot of HGTV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working. I am dreaming. <laughs> You're writing and doing plumbing. Right, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, I mean, it's all good things, though. All these things recent. The, the, the home happened recently in the past year, or? And we closed in February. Wow. So. That's, a, that's a lot of life stuff all at the yeah, same time. Book, yeah. house. Just married in December. It's wow. been a lot of life. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. All good Thank things, you. though. They're all happening in one fail swoop. That's For lovely. Sure. And then do you still run? I, I noticed on your TED Talk you mentioned running. Mm-hmm. You still a regular runner? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> no, I'm trying to, to get back into it. It was yeah. really hard on my knees and yeah. I just, I kind of struggled. So I, I've been finding different things. I do cycling. I've been doing more weightlifting, just trying to find what works for me. But. No, yeah, I hear you. I'm a big boy and I yeah. run regularly and it's yeah. rough on the knees, especially yeah. I'm, I turned 35 this week. So. Yeah. The older you get, the and the heavier you get, both. Happy, yeah. so, happy, happy pre-birthday, by <laughs> the way. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy pre-birthday. Yeah, there it is. All right, cool. Do you, you want to start with? So, sure. I have plenty of questions, but also I want to say, first off, I love the book. The novel is fantastic. You. you know, I was reading it, um, reading and rereading it this weekend, and my husband kept saying, what are you reading? What is this? And I was like, I'm preparing for the podcast. And um, I was just totally immersed in it. I thought the story was, um, a lot of the things they, ha- they have said in reviews, it was uh, both relatable but also what I think is really interesting is that you work a story that's um, uh, difficult in places and you relay it in a way that becomes um, stripped down and very honest, I think. So I think those the, that's the way I feel about the novel myself. But I have specific <laughs> questions. Um, and 
correct me if I'm wrong. Your main character is Siomara. Do I say yeah, it? Yeah. Am I saying it? Siomara, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I was yeah, just you like, said it great. You, well, you know, you spell it phonetically in the book very early on. That's another thing I love. Is That's she's very like, kind uh-uh. of you. She's just like, here is how you're going to say my character's yeah, name. You know what I mean? I love yeah. that. So, so yes, yeah, so I just want to make sure. So, Siomara, um, I think, you know, they, also the reviews have talked a lot about um, how um, she's struggling with the Catholicism of her mother and the family and sort of living under that sort of, uh, you know, heavy blanket. I know a lot about that as a family. My mother's heavily religious Baptist, and she also comes from a big family. My mother's one of 11. Mm -hmm. So again, similar sorts of themes, Mm -hmm. right? You know, you can find places of intersection, or I think women and people uh, in general, why they're responding to the novel is because they can find um, universal places, places that resonate with people in different ways, right? Um, So one of the first questions I really want to talk about, which is an odd sort of question, is um, about the form of the book, right? So it's a novel in verse, right? But also, um, Anthony's probably gonna ask you questions later about being a poet. And one of the questions I want to ask you is about the forms that are in the book, right? And how um, form sort of informs either your poetry and specifically this novel in verse, right? So um, for those of you who have not read the book, but you should go run out and buy it, um, The Poet X um, explores haiku, um, I would say contrapuntal. Mm-hmm. Um, there are places that I feel like um, almost like mock sonnets at the very end. Loose. You have yeah. very, very loose sonnets, right? right? You have uh, these voltas at the end that I think mm-hmm. are really interesting and poetic in the last couple of lines, right? So I'm just interested in how you think about form. I mean, I think both Anthony and I have written in form, talk yeah. about form um, in terms of poetry. How, is it, how it informs this novel in verse and also your work and what, uh, what do you think form teaches you? Right. So many questions. I know. Uh, anything, <laughs> anything, anything, anything. I like kept wanting to like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, Any part of that you can answer. No, I think that I have shied away from form a lot of my life. There's a lot oh. of fear for me in form. Oh, um, that's surprising. And I don't know where that necessarily comes from. I don't know if it's because I was taught very rigidly and so it wasn't just form, but it was form and meter mm. and where, mm-hmm. you know, where things mm-hmm. landed and my yeah. ear doesn't do well necessarily with mm. with those things. Um, but I think that I do love them as the as containers, mm. right? Okay. Yeah. That there are, are times when there's just too much to say. And so having a container that just has to mm-hmm. hold the most essential pieces mm-hmm. allows me to really strip away what's superfluous. And when you're mm-hmm. writing a novel in verse and it's 368 pages, which means that you have about that many poems, right. <laughs> there's a lot that feels like, what what more is there to say? Like this yeah. is, I'm already on poem 230, like what right. is left, right? Right. And so I think that the the forms, especially at the end, with, you know, that's where the contrapuntal comes in, that's mm-hmm. where um, some of those loose sonnets come in. I think were ways for me to say, one, the character has grown in her evolution oh, of poetry, oh, I love that. that she has now studied that's it and is learning it very differently. And so she's able to also look at her work differently hmm. than when hmm. she started yeah. um but for me it was a way to also push what is what is left hmm. what is left to say you right. know and, and let's just get to the bare bones of of this ending right yeah um but you'll see it in in you know my collection beast girl or in some of my other poems mm-hmm. i mean i have forms that i think i i play with repetition a lot so they're not mm-hmm. received forms but right. but the idea yeah. of repetition of of um having structure right. is certainly something that I appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm reading right now, a rereading actually, um, this book, uh, The Exaltation of Forms. Mm. Um, yeah, by Annie Fitch, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And it's, it's really great. And one of the things they say in the introduction is really um, a radical thing to do is look at how um, sometimes things we don't call forms really are forms, right? We, we consider the received forms, the sonnet, the haiku, those are well, forms. Well, free verse is even a form. Free verse is a form. Right, uh, even, sure. Yeah, even though it's uh, not contemporary, like, such. Right, sure. Yeah, right. the contemporary spoken word, Malou, is a form. Right. The um, hip-hop is a form. Sure it is. Um, right. To be experimental, to be Aleppo, right. are forms, even though right. we call them experimental outside of form. These are all different forms mm-hmm. in a, a non-traditional sense and a really radical sense to put mm-hmm. them all in the field. And we're right. really just... What we're saying when we say it's a poem in form is we're being attentive to the shape. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I like what, what Elizabeth said about uh, being a container. You know, when well, Liz that. says yeah. that, it makes me think of like uh, a vase for flowers. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like the flowers change according to what the, va- the yeah. container is. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when you talk about the end of the book being like, oh, I have all this, you know, we got to 
kind of close it out here, you know, and I have a lot to say. The container works as a way for you to get it all in there, um, but be strip away, like you said, the things that aren't aren't necessary. So I think um, that was really interesting to me to read uh, and, and to see that and be like, wow, this is really, and also what you're saying about the evolution of Siomara yes. as a poet, right? You know, her in the bathroom or wherever she's locked, <laughs> counting on her fingers, <laughs> syllables for haiku, I thought was really like great stuff. So I had, that was one of my first questions that I really wanted to talk yeah, about, yeah. about, about form. Yeah. Cool. I also, another thing I really like, uh, uh, some figurative language I've used to describe form that was helpful for me early on was the idea of um, bartenders know what glass, what drinks belong in, right? Mm. And like a white Russian is good in its glass, are, right? are you telling us you're a drunk? Uh, well, yes, but... Um, <laughs> No, but like the white Russian, the white Russian is good in any glass. The old fashioned is good in any glass, right? Right. But the white Russian belongs in a highball. The well, old fashioned belongs in yeah. rock glass. Right? right. And I'm gonna add. We're getting off. We're getting off topic here. But anyway, I'm gonna add. Wine is the same way, right? You yeah. Know, you, need, you need a close, an open glass for the red to give it air, right? right. And a more closed glass. I love for, that. For the white, right? Yeah. So it's the container. You know, yeah. things are better in different containers. You know, yeah. not that I'm a drunk, but anyway. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Moving on. Um, okay. We're getting um, off topic. So here. one thing I was reading. Um, some of your work, and I was listening to your work, particularly um, some of the stuff you posted online, and it got me thinking about really two things. And one is your your mention, um, in, you mentioned Spanish is your first language, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you grew up sort of multilingual, though. I only spoke Spanish at home, so oh, wow. my parents cool. don't really speak English right. um, and so, to this day. Wow, that's, yeah. yeah. And so I was wondering, uh, often people ask about second languages, they, they talk about it as a disadvantage. But I was wondering uh, if you think sort of the use of two language and of code shifting between home and public um, from very young on helped strengthen you as a poet and writer. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you're, you're asking this and I immediately thought one of the reasons that I struggled with meter was because I can't hear accents in English in the same oh, way yeah. as other yeah, people. Yeah. Because we were like, this, this word can only be pronounced here, right? So the stress is on this. And I'm yeah. like, well... I don't know, because oh. in Spanish, the stress would be here. Yeah. And yeah. there's a lot of words that I've never yeah. heard out loud that I've read, right, but didn't grow up necessarily hearing them. Yeah. And so for me, the way I'm, I pronounce them is not how they're supposed to be pronounced. Yeah. So, right. I, so the idea of a disadvantage versus, you know, what do you bring to the table? What, yeah. is, what is your ear bringing in that, that changes things? And I, I think what having another language did was it allowed me to see and describe differently. Yeah. Right. That now I think about phrases that I love in Spanish and when you translate them into English they're like considered original or fresh and I'm like that's oh. a basic ass cliche in Spanish <laughs> but it's just the the bump of the words in English aren't yeah. you know it's it's unusual so I, I feel like I train myself to find those unusual moments or the moments where the translation maybe was disrupted and what happens there and how does right. that work um but it's also just like, what does language do for how you walk through the world, for how right. you live? Mm -hmm. Spanish is my home language, mm -hmm. home as in home home, right? Mm -hmm. Four walls yeah. home. And so there's an intimacy, there's a familial, there's something that that language means to me. Mm -hmm. To this day in D.C., when I hear people talking Spanish on the metro, I like it something happens, right? Because it's yeah. not as common here as in New York. It's right. not, you're it's, totally right. It's rare. It's, it's yes. getting, you know, there's a big Latinx population in D.C. now, and this yeah. is changing, but that hasn't always, I've been here now almost 15 years, that hasn't always been the case, right? Yeah. And so for me, there is something about that, that draw, that longing there. Um, and I feel like that comes in the work, that my work is about home, it is about longing, it is about the island that I'm not from. I was not born and raised in right. the Dominican Republic. Right. And so my Spanish is not the Spanish of there. And what mm. does that mean? And mm. that, um, if nothing else, it's allowed me a lot of explorations. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great. You see that in, in the Poet X, too. You right. see that. Actually, I found myself doing what my students wanted me to do when I teach uh, novels or poetry and they get uh, foreign language words. I felt like, oh, what is what, what is she saying here? I felt myself Googling <laughs> words. You know? yeah. But yeah. I also felt like I get irritated because my students want like a glossary, right? right? Like when they read, um, you know, Cicernos or when they read Alvarez or whatever, they want yeah. a glossary. What they want is something in the back that tells them exactly what this uh -huh. says, you know? And you actually have 
have a piece or two, at least in the novel, where you translate. You do a whole thing in Spanish, and then you do a whole English translation. But there are pieces where you don't. You actually don't tell the reader yeah. what's going on. I'm like, man, what is this word? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I love when you explained, uh, what is it, Mira Muchacha? You know, look, girl, you know, mm-hmm. however you say that one. Like, I was like, okay, so this kind of brings me in a little bit, right? right? It sort of grounds me in the work. But I think language is a thing uh, very similar to what you're saying. It's where you feel at home, and, and you're trying to bring readers sort of into your own space, you know? And I right. think that's important, you know, that, that we don't get the glossary we always right. want. You know, yeah. the, I mean, glossaries are bullshit to me. I mean, right. I mean glossaries are good for... You know, I don't know, looking things up, but they're not. Yeah. You know, for literature, you sometimes need to uh, struggle struggle a little yeah. bit. Be yeah. a fish out of water a little bit and immerse yourself is sometimes what I think. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. interesting because often that conversation is like an either or, right? Like it's the big question among multilingual poets is, do we translate for the English only speaker or do we right. expect them to do the work? Right. So right. it's sort of interesting. How did you end up coming to, for some of them, you'll, you'll give it to them and some of them you expect them to do the work? I mean, I think for me, it was always just critical to think about who I was othering. Yeah. Right. At all times. And that you you find in the novel, the Spanish is not italicized. Right. Which right. is, is very right. common in poetry right now. I think that's the direction it's moving for a traditional house to do a young adult novel where they were deciding not to italicize was was kind of a big deal, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and well, I was lucky my yeah. editor was with me, but, oh, but cool. it, you know, yeah. I think children's publishing moves at a different pace yeah. than poetry, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Sure, um, sure. In the poetry That's, world that right. we're used to. And hmm. so that was a big question, but it was, I don't want to other young people who speak Spanish and yeah. they are not thinking in italics and they move right. fluidly through both. So why, why are we trying to differentiate this word? Right. And that even when the words are explained, I think it's the character really kind of processing and explaining them to herself. It's not like, hey, person who does not speak Spanish, let Mm. me um, break this down. It's more like processing, what does it mean to be told, look girl at all times? Mm. And when you're like, I'm I'm not a girl, I'm a young woman, or like, I'm not, I'm going to push against that. And even the one poem that is completely translated, there's one poem that's entirely in Spanish. um, The character was writing to her mother. Right. Right. So she had That's to write true. it in right. that. And then, right. you know, the translation came, I think, for and now how do I say it to myself? Yeah. But that there was no time that I, I very rarely was thinking about explaining this. Yeah. I try to give mm-hmm. enough context clues, but there are yeah, lines that just don't, just don't make it. Just don't translate. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so being multilingual is an advantage, I think, to reading this book. Um, but I agree with you, I think, entirely. Like, it's okay to struggle. Right. Yeah. Some of yeah. the books I love right. most in the world like were work. And that's right. why I love them because then it's like I had to work hard no, to I get earned this. this. I right. earned like a degree. Like a yeah. degree. Like, yeah, I graduated. You earned you know that I mean? ending, yeah. you earned right. the satisfaction. Yeah. And right. so I, I think, you know, I hope that's what it is, that it's not just learning the language of the poems mm-hmm. and, and but also being completely immersed. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked what you said about uh the word girl, about look girl I like that makes me think of Jamaican Kincaid's yeah, girl very short sure. story yeah you know sure. my students always read Same. um yeah exactly. I always make I my students read story, yeah right? I love it you know what I mean and the, and the mother is sort of you know reading the daughter on here's here's how to become a young woman in the mm-hmm. world right you know and so there's a similar maybe uh situation between the mother and uh Siomara sure. right yeah so I love that um yeah there's all these connections right great stuff um another one of the questions I wanted to ask you which is not specifically about the work but is actually more about um the influence the work has had on the outer world. So I want to read a couple of quotes from a couple of reviews that talked about the book. And then I have a question. Um, So Publishers Weekly said, debut novelist Acevedo's free verse gives Xiomara's coming of age story an undeniable pull. It's emotionally charged bluntness reflecting her determination and strength, right? Um, And Kirkus Review said, the happy ending is not a neat one, making it both realistic and satisfying. Themes as diverse as growing up first generation American, Latinx culture, sizeism, music, um, burgeoning sexuality, and the power of the written and spoken word are all explored with nuance. All of this stuff on top of the New York Times bestsellers uh, list, how has this changed um, your personal life and also your writing, all of the success of Poet X? How is that, um, you know, I'm sure your life has changed. I mean, well, obviously your life has changed. You just bought a house. You just got married. Look, I mean, all of those things. You're, you're renovating. You're watching TV. But, I'm, but the success of the book has to change um, maybe your work or the way that you think about your work or maybe the way that you feel your work might 
be validated in the real world. I mean, these are some really lovely, I feel like, words that people yeah, have said flowing, about, yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, New York Times, girl, this is, I mean, you know, that's why I read all this <laughs> big, long bio, because you, you are for real, you know what I'm saying? But I'm just saying, how has that um, influenced you in terms of either your personal life and or your writing, all the success of the Podex? I think my, my personal life has gone you know, remarkably unchanged in many ways. Cool. Uh, outside of like, you know, my partner every day just kind of be like, when's the movie deal so I can retire, right? <laughs> <laughs> just like, wow. you're going to be working for a while. Well, 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 don't, look, don't call, don't put that out into the universe. Right. The movie deal might be right around the corner. <laughs> He's still going to work. <laughs> I'm glad he going to continue working because I wouldn't. Look, <laughs> but anyway. Um, you know, so, so private life is, is pretty stable. In a way that family. I, I kind of love. I mean, my, my family uh-huh. is really excited about this. That's and I awesome. think for a long time, there was a way in which, you know, my parents and I think my extended family didn't really understand what I did. I've been, you know, I went to grad school in 2012. My father thought I was going to grad school for teaching because mm-hmm. he didn't understand, like, what is a creative writing degree? Sure. <laughs> I began touring in 2014, and that was pretty heavily. I mean, I do between 30 and 50 shows every semester, yeah. so I'm on the Ooh. road a ton. Yeah, it's a lot. And they were just kind of like, what are you doing? What do you do? Like, what, what do, do you do? You go to, you know, universities and you... Talk. You talk and you say <laughs> and you poems. People pay you to say poems, right? And so for them, all of a sudden, there's this book right mm. the, and the chapbook was one thing but this right. is like at the bookstore like the day that my sure. parents passed the local bookstore and saw it in the window oh, my dad like sends me a video it's- of my mom like dancing outside the <laughs> store oh, and then going in and being like you have to keep that on display <laughs> that's like, so please cute. don't threaten the bookshop <laughs> <laughs> go let them threaten the bookshop look that's lovely so I think it's 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 this thing that became tangible for my whole family yeah right? like here is this story that that people outside of us are are really excited about. So yeah. I think that was an interesting moment. Um, in terms of the writing, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I've always put a lot of pressure on myself. I don't know that necessarily um, the reviews add or detract from that. Hmm. Um, I'll say that the reviews that probably you know mean a lot on a very personal level and that feel to add weight are are typically from young women of color oh who send me a ton of messages and emails and somehow find me in every capacity right and 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 let me know how much this book means to them how much they wish they had this younger how they're passing this along they're buying it for their moms right and so for me that idea of you know what does it mean to build a legacy of work Mm -hmm. that continues that that makes people feel seen mm-hmm. that opens you know you know redeem seems bishops would say opens these you know mirrors opens mm. these windows for people um and it's hard mm. you know i'm in the middle of revisions for my second novel which thankfully i had done before the first yes. one came out yeah and so i didn't have to i would hate to be writing a new thing right now because it feels like this book is doing so well that if i had to start from scratch I think there would be a lot of nerves on what is the follow-up story. But it was done, and so it's like, well. <laughs> so let me ask you, since you brought it up, it is uh, with the fire on high, right? That yes. is that is the new the new novel. Okay, so it's also young adult. It it's a part two of the Podex, or is it not? No, it's young adult. It's based in Philadelphia. It has a little bit of magical realism. It's prose. Oh, it's okay. a lot of different things. Oh, wow. I kind of just like flung myself. In a different direction, so <laughs> right? Different. Maybe the comparisons will be lessened if it's yeah. just a different project. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it, were, were you ever thinking to write a part two to the Poetex? Were you ever? Would, would there ever maybe be a sequel? I don't know. You know, see Omara and, and Aman <laughs> get married, and maybe or maybe not. And, yeah, I, I don't just know. like move to different from new adult. I go young adult, new right. adult. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. You know, for me, the book was done. Okay, it wasn't right. until it came out, and a lot of people are like, "We want to, you know, we want would the you twin do story." Story. Right. We want, what about when she goes to college? Right. But I think that those are desires that people have based off of, like, we don't see this. And so we just want right. more of this. Yeah, right. um, but it wasn't, I thought the story was finished. Right. I think, yeah. I think I'm okay leaving Siomara where she is. And I have a lot of different projects outlined. Um, cool. Maybe, maybe I'll circle cool. back yeah. in 10 years. You but. never know. Yeah, yeah, you never know. But it's great that you're working and it's done. You're 
the Thank manuscript goodness. is yeah 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 just in revisions which is I mean as hard as, as writing yeah. anything but I mean, that's, in a different yeah, way absolutely. yeah but you're already on to something else I mean for you're sure. still touring the book and you're still doing readings for the Poet X but you're on to another project and I think that must feel really great that actually goes right into another thing I was going to ask about which True. is um, at this point you're known for, for public speaking and performing mm-hmm. for both poems on the page and poems on the stage and now both poet and novelist. So I was just sort of curious, is part of what you're doing intentionally blurring the boundaries between, you know, the performance and the lyric or mm. between uh, writer and poet? Or are you just trying to do your thing and refusing boxes, right? Mm. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> or a little both, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know that it was intentional at first. Mm. There was a lot of angst for me in terms of, well, if I perform, will that preclude me from publishing? Right, If right. I Stage to page. Stage to page. If I primarily focus, when I was in my MFA, right, on this thesis, and I'm not performing, right. am I right. all of a sudden removing this vehicle of speaking to a certain community, of speaking about a certain community, now all of a sudden, because, I mean, the area I come from isn't a place that is going to be have subscription to, you know, certain poetry magazines. Yeah. Sure, so of course. what is it that I can bring into spaces yeah. that... Right. And so for me, there was a lot there. What is that? Because it feels like there's a huge divide sometimes. Yeah, it Um, definitely does. I think that we're in an exciting time right now where a lot of people are blurring those lines. I'm thinking about Denise Smith. I'm thinking about Clint Smith. I'm thinking about Franny Choi. Right. Fatima Oscar. Like there's a lot of poets, uh, my contemporaries who are just coming through and kind of saying like, you know, we're going to do what we want. Right. And we come from places where all of this is allowed. Um, but I don't know if it was necessarily intentional. It was yeah. just like, I've I've just always wanted to tell the story. Been Liz. And, yeah, in whatever capacity, <laughs> I just want to right. tell the story. And, and the story comes out, yeah. how it comes out and what it needs. I'll sit down and write a poem. I'm like, this is going to be something I'm going to submit to all these. Right? And then I'm like, no, this is a poem that needs to be heard and needs to be embodied. And maybe it can also be published, but right. what, what the language right. is telling me is... right. It needs something else, right? Yeah. I'll sit down and I'm in the middle of the book and I'm like, this has to be in verse. This book hmm. wasn't going to be in verse initially. Oh. And then it was like, oh, this is not working in this way, right? So I, I, I think I just allow myself to figure out what the work needs. Yeah, I think, yeah. and that goes back to what you were saying earlier about containers. I mean, like work, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. I mean, right? It's like a 360 totally sure. about what putting sure. what what into what format is really important, you know? Is it going to be prose? Is it going to be a poem? Yeah. Is it going to be a spoken word piece? Is it going to be page only? All those sorts of things. Right. So I think that's really interesting. And I also think um, one of my last questions, actually, um, it also speaks to all of your influences. Um, in Publishers Weekly, the review, they asked you about some of your writing influences, right? And so I'm going to list them. They were, they were numerous, right? But they're also very diverse, right? So the, the, the list that I found, and you can add others if you'd like to, um, Lucille Clifton, you mentioned Juno Diaz, Jacqueline Woodson-Brown, and Natalie Diaz were all on your list. And I thought, when you when I read that, I thought, damn, the list is like mad diverse, right? You know what I mean? I mean, she wasn't like all poets. She wasn't like all prose writers, right? She wasn't like, you know what I mean? And then, you know, I mean, they don't, they're not all the same race, ethnicity, you know? So, so I thought it was a really diverse collection of, um, of writing influences. But also I know from reading the book, from reading The Poet X, you have a lot of musical influences <laughs> because you come from the Bronx. So, and I love the part where you defend Nicki Minaj in the book. People, if you have not read this book, you need to go out and get it like yesterday. <laughs> but um, I wanted to ask you, how does music um being a poet being a writer how does music um in your background um being born and raised in the bronx how does that sort of influence um your work as well even though you've had all these very diverse um you know literary influences but i'm also interested in your music influences are there spanish music influences things like that um there's a lot of hip-hop in in the poet and that's cool you know j cole it's all very contemporary (laughs) i was like oh i see okay all right i was expecting cardi b to pop up you know i don't know you know she was she had a slight she had a slight uh, cameo. Exactly. <laughs> right, right, right. But yeah. I, but yeah, so there was all this stuff that I was in. So I, my question is really about musical influences and how that um, finds itself in your work. For sure. I'm just going to say this and not to correct you, but just because New Yorkers are very hard with where they come from. Oh. I was actually born and raised um, near Harlem in oh. Manhattan. Because I don't want anybody from the Bronx coming for me. I love the oh. Bronx. Throw your exes up. I just know people are very specific with uh, their area. So you were raised in Harlem. Yeah. Oh, and then, but your parents, they live in the Bronx now? Who lives? My whole extended family. Oh, lives in the Bronx. okay. Yeah. All right, good. Yeah, but thank you for correcting me. No, yeah. I just don't want to get in trouble because, you know, someone from New the Bronx is going to run up on me 
be like, what block? Right, <laughs> like, exactly. 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 I lived in New York for 10 years. Right? I know exactly, exactly what you mean. Yes. They're like, where in Brooklyn? Right. Like, yeah. You're from the Bronx. Right. right. So I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I think I very intentionally, with my interviews, try to keep all the different worlds I come from mm. at the top, at the foremost. Right. And so having my poetic influences, young adult in there, having, you know, the literary folks, like just across the board was very important to me. And I think musically, um, to say, how do you write a novel that in many ways is going to be marketed and thought of as a literary piece, Mm -hmm. right? That this was not necessarily pitched as commercial. Um, But having a lot of those influences, musical influences, you know, brought into that space, right? That I had, you know, assistant editors or copywriters who were looking at this and were just like, wait, who is, like, what is this Ja Rule song? Or like, is this, right, what is this moment? Or like, you know, there there are titles that, I can't because of copyright issues say are in the book, but potentially they might be in the book. Right, right, right. right, But that, and they're just little nods to folks who know, like, look, we're here, right? And these little things get snuck in. Right. Um, And so, yeah, the the contemporary artists that I think right now are um, having some fascinating conversations, Chance the Rapper, right? Mm -hmm. J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar, Mm -hmm. um, Nicki Minaj, that Siomara, the character, finds music as an asylum Mm -hmm. where do you go to when no one else understands right you go to the people who are saying the story that you understand right and the story can come through rap lyrics or it can come through poetry lyrics right it can come either way right and then i think a lot of young people that i know particularly growing up in urban areas come from poetry firstly from hip-hop yeah they do they come from from rap first right and and that was my story right that that was i didn't I, didn't, I thought a poem was a very particular thing, right? right. It was a very right. school Different, thing, yeah. and it was yeah, a so very right. zipped up, collared, right? right? I, I didn't know what that was. Right. And I remember having to go, or going to poetry club in high school, being invited to go, and I was like, I'm not a poet. Like, I'm a rapper. Right? Oh, I thought there was this distinction, and my teacher was like, you know, you should come through anyways. Mm. And so for me to, to look at that and think about what is it that... Um, is happening in that space where you think this is not for you, mm-hmm. even though so mm-hmm. many of us come from from these very musical, very sure. word driven communities, right? Yeah. And so for me, I would I would definitely say, and this isn't in the novel. I don't know that it's Siomara's influences necessarily, but mine, like Juan Luis Guerra, right? Mm-hmm. Who is this Dominican artist? I think um, I would say the most well known and and, and I'm gonna look him up. I mean, just the most amazing artist I think we've produced. Mm. Ever. Wow, there it is. Okay, <laughs> shout out. Um, but he's he's a major major influence. I love Celia Cruz. Celia Cruz yeah, was the first negra I ever saw on sure. TV, yeah, right? Or, or or heard yeah. this black woman who's very proudly a black woman yes. and singing in Spanish. I mean, so. To me, yeah. just this remarkable figure. So in terms of just my identity mm. and how I could conceive of myself yeah you know it was an artist like her that gave me so much permission um i can go on and on i grew up in a household where music was massive yes every single friday yeah and it was for me too and it's in some of my poetry except for my influences are very different because my parents (laughs) are uh black american south so there was a lot of heart there was a lot of uh old motown in in my family all the time even when i was little you know there was no listening to hip-hop because uh -uh. Uh uh-uh you know because we're listening to stevie wonder and michael jackson and blah 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 you know so musical influences are really important especially to your writing that's what mm-hmm. I would say they're home they're ways in which we look at home and I think particularly in the poet X I think that um, the music draws in young people in a way that I'm sure um, they have felt excluded prior to your novel so that's another thing that I think is of even if you weren't intentionally doing it for young people, it's another way in which to reach out to them and include right. them, make them feel like their stories and their spaces are being heard. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think music is totally as important as your literary influence. I wanted to mention the literary influences, but I wanted to get <laughs> wanted to get the hip hop in there, right? So All right, we're back for the pop section of the podcast. Yes, we are. Uh, Elizabeth has stepped out. She'll be back for the lit portion. Right now, it's just me and Cece. Right. Cece, you had something that's been on your oh mind the last week or so. The only thing that has been on my mind the last week or so. Of course, this podcast will be dropping a little later, but 
This is still relevant. The royal wedding was all the buzz this week. I had a whole plan to wake up early, which I did. I got up. I had my tea. I didn't have any crumpets. But uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle got married uh, May 19th. The royal wedding happened at uh, St. George's Chapel. And... Um, the wedding, I don't know if you watched it. Did you watch it? I did it? not. And you got up early. At, I did. At 6 a.m., something like that? No, like, like, like 7 ish. Yeah. I mean, it's not so that. I did not get up in the middle of the morning. But to you watch could have watched it on repeat because it was on repeat like all day. They were showing snippets yeah. of it. Yeah. So you didn't see anything? I got the highlights on Twitter. Highlights yeah. on Twitter. People, can you believe this? I got, I got the highlights on Sports Center. Oh. For, you know, for black Twitter <laughs> and for black girls, this was uh, an important moment. It only, was. Yeah. Only because of, you know, uh, I would say even visual representation. Who knows how uh, the royal family is, if, if they're going to change realistically yeah, yeah. or not, right? But in terms of just seeing uh, the visual representation, I think it was um, really interesting. Not was, just Meghan Markle. Not just her, representation-wise, right? Her mother was at well, the yes, wedding. Well, yes, of course, right. And people kept showing shots of her mother, who right. I think is a single mom. Is that right? Well, I think her and the father are divorced. Or, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, a divorced no mother. Together. A no, divorced right, mother. Right. Uh, raising her daughter in L.A. Right. To see her daughter, to, right, to such success. Yep. Not just in the film industry, because she was successful before she was married, right? She was. She's a successful if, if woman. Is Suits yeah. super successful? I don't know. Uh, do we? It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a cable TV <laughs> weekly it drama. Is, it I, is. It is. It's a major character. You're right. You're yeah. right. What am I talking about? It's yeah. yeah it's totally valid. And, and so for her to raise her daughter to not only do that on her own and to be successful in her own right, but then to go on to join the royal family, which as much as we Americans can pretend we, we don't care, care right? but we do. We do care. We do we care. Do care. Yeah. We don't yeah. have it, and we totally find it fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so the, yeah, the royal wedding was happening, and also um, the proceedings of the royal wedding. Anthony, since you didn't watch, um, <laughs> I'll have to give you the you know you said you caught the tidbits on Twitter, but mo much of the buzz was really about um, Bishop Michael Curry, yeah, who, who delivered this this crazy dope sermon. I mean, yeah. he included everything from Song of Solomon. He talked about um, slavery and resistance work. It was like a bl black liberation theology yeah. sort of wrapped up hybrid, you know, uh, sort of sermon. But it was long. First of all, I don't think anybody thought it was going to be as long <laughs> as it was. I think all the white people were like, excuse me, is it over yet? Right. You know, um, so I think um, Bishop Curry was uh, surprising in that respect. But also the things that he touched upon. He mentioned MLK. Um, he, he was very sort of um, um, avant-garde I feel like for in that space and for a bishop I feel like you know so I feel like people really celebrated I feel like everybody black twitter was going abuzz because they were just so happy to see um this sort of um rhetoric but also yeah. um the performative aspect right. of religion sort of happening um at St. George's yeah, Chapel absolutely. that's what I'm saying not not just Meghan Markle right it's right. great it's an amazing thing oh right, right. you're asking but, you're yeah. adding yes yeah. all the other people of yeah. color who yeah. were present yeah. and participating in the ceremony yeah both celebrities but also her mother. Yeah, who cares about Oprah? I mean, no disrespect. I've said that before. <laughs> what do you mean who cares about Oprah? <laughs> Everyone cares about... Every writer wants to be an Oprah book club. Well, anyway, moving on. Look, moving on from that. Serena Williams was there with her mm -hmm. husband. You know what I mean? That was exciting. Idris Elba was there with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, George Clooney and uh, Aman, I think, is his, mm -hmm. is his wife, you know? Saw a great, great passive-aggressive tweet. So, so often oh. she gets sort of erased from the story. Um, his wife... Who, as just his wife, yeah, yeah, um, and on. she's she's a, a, a human rights lawyer, right? She's, super she's an smart. activist, super yeah. smart. She's brilliant. She's saving the world. Um, yeah, so and uh, she was dressed in mustard yellow, yeah, which I thought was beautiful. Yeah, yo, I I can pretend I didn't care too much about it, but I definitely was looking at the fashion of it. There was right. amazing fashion. There was there was amazing um, fashion. Both happening. celebrities and royalty, just right. Just, you know who I was not impressed with. Okay, listen, I know this may come in unexpected because everyone was so thirsty over him. David Beckham. Yeah, was there. yeah, I seen him. Uh, Mr. Posh Spice was there. Yeah, I saw him. Um, and he looked gorgeous for his age. He's in his 50s. Yeah. Um, and he's absolutely beautiful yeah. for his age. But and everyone was so thirsty over him and how he looked. It was like, oh, don't come and, don't come and uh, outshow the groom if you're going to come to a wedding, right? But here's the thing his outfit. Oh, you weren't you the fashion. You Unremarkable, that. right? Uh -huh. It was a, a tux with a black black suit with tails. It was. Right? It was. Yeah. But he had this flat, this matte gray vest underneath it. Oh. That I thought looked so. I don't know. Prom rental. It was uh, very like. Uh, I was not impressed with it. He of wow. course looked beautiful, but I was I was unimpressed with his outfit. You were like unimpressed that. with the outfit. That's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I get that it's not a men's fashion event. It's more of a women's fashion event. It is. But you know who did look great? Who is little Prince George? Oh, Prince William's son. He yeah. had on this black. 
um, sort of layered chevron sort of coat. He looked very, uh, very oh, My I, Chemical I Romance. Remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was kind of Michael Jackson esque. It was a little. I it was a little. It. Yeah, it was yeah. a little flashy. Michael yeah. Jackson esque is what I, is what I would say. Yeah, yeah. So very stylish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in, in addition to the fashion, also two more things that I have to mention mm-hmm. was the uh, the gospel choir that sung "Stand Love By it. Me," yeah. beautiful, yeah. right? And this young man named um, Seku. Kenna Mason, I want to make sure I pronounce his name right, who was the cellist who was 19 years old oh, um, and so did sweet. a fantastic classical, uh, three actually classical renditions towards the end of the wedding. I think it was just inspiring to see all these people in color of um, course. in one space. Yeah. That was really at, the, at a royal wedding, right? yeah. at, at a British royal wedding. Right. We often talk about royalty as though it only exists in like the Western colonial world, right? right? But Africa is filled with kings and queens and princes, right? Right, so, it is, right. So to see in the Western milieu, right. um, people all of these color, people of color right. and, at the royal wedding. And a focus gorgeous, on the arts, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, music, vocals, all these sorts of things, you know? Yeah. And then uh, Bishop Curry, yeah, who, just brought, who just brought the pain, yeah. you know, for his sermon. Just <laughs> just killed yeah. it, just crushed not, it. Yeah, not just social justice, racial justice in particular yes. at this wedding. Yeah. Amazing. It yes. was amazing. So yeah, so I just wanted to mention that. That was all the buzz this week. All my girlfriends were texting and calling each other and being like, girl, are you going to watch the royal wedding? You know, so, um, you know, shout out to my black girls. You know what I'm saying? We're, at, we're representing now here. So that's it. And congrats to the Dutch, the Duke, oh, the Duke and, Duke Duchess, and Duchess, of Duchess of Sussex. Of Sussex. <laughs> I like, we should say that five times. Duke, Duke and, and Duchess, Duchess of Sussex. Sussex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one other thing, just a quick update. A uh, quick queer eye update. We are both following this closely. Two, oh, yeah. two quick things. First, oh. smaller news. Tom and Abby from episode one. Oh, right. Tom's old Tom, guy. Right. Yeah, a few yeah. months ago, it was reported that they were dating again. Yeah. They were very happy. Uh, they are now married once again. Oh, Tom and Abby are married. Congrats, yay. Tom and Abby. And exciting, maybe More. disappointing for some of us out there. Um, Karamo. Yeah. Karamo announced re- this this month that uh, he has been engaged and to his What's his dr- husband? What's his fiance's name? Uh, he's a director and his name's Ian Jordan. Ian Jordan. Ian I didn't Jordan. know. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, engaged. It was very public. Engaged to be wed, yeah. At a, I think it's a, it's a gay club or event space so. in LA. I think so. LA? Yeah, right. LA. Right. Um, very they, public. They very... got a cake from Charm City Cakes. I saw Did that. Did you see that? Charm City was... Cakes. Baltimore's own. Baltimore representing. <laughs> I was just this like, is walking distance to my house and they have all these oh, yeah. blacked out windows and that show's been off the air for like seven years it has tourists still come by to take pictures in front oh, yeah. of that building in yeah. this little neighborhood called Remington in yeah Baltimore. big stuff Charm City Cakes yeah, yeah. so Karamo had, yeah yeah LA <laughs> Charm City Cakes is in LA yeah. yeah and so he had all the Fab Five there they yeah. were all present for the the engagement you yeah. know the, and his children were there his well, children right? oh right mm-hmm. right right I mean fantastic and exciting I saw yeah. I, I played the video like I missed it I missed it my eyes you know what I mean, yeah. it just was so beautiful. I, I I talk so much crap about people who are like, oh, he's off the market now when people do that, but um, this is the first time I was like, oh, Karamo's off the market. <laughs> in your brain, you you friend in your head, you were like, you were like boyfriend in my head, you yeah. were like, Karamo's off the market, you know what I mean? But he's such a wonderful person. I mean, he won that humanitarian award, what was the name yeah, of it? Yeah, so the human, right, the human Rights Campaign, it's the largest LGBTQ or, uh, rights organization in the country. Um, he's they great. they gave him a visibility award. Visibility for his work, award, right? Yeah, and and real world is what it was. Before yeah, that, real right? world. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about that. but uh, humanitarian <laughs> for real world. But but no, he's just an he's an activist. It seems like in yeah. all aspects yeah. of his life. He does and, good work. Yeah. And queer eye, if you're listening, in anytime you would love to come to Lit Pop Bang, we would love to host you anywhere. Yeah, we'll have the five the five vibe on. I, I personally have a crush on Tan, but we can't. They're all beautiful men. Yeah, but Tan's it. Men. Tan's it. He's Tan's he's it. number one. Yeah. That it's Silver Fox. All right, and speaking of LGBTQ plus things, there's one other thing we're going to talk about, something that bugged me this week, and that is, um, okay, so some of you have heard um, uh, Solo, a Star Wars movie, is coming out this week, this month, oh, uh, end of May, um, so it's out by the time you're hearing this, and um, it is a standalone Star Wars movie about Han Solo, a character oh. who has played a role in four of the yeah. seven mainstream uh, Star Wars movies. Yeah. Um, most of you know in episode two, one of Han Solo's close allies, Lando Calrissian, plays a big part, played by... Uh, oh. Uh, is it Billy D. Mays? Is I don't know. Right? Yeah. I don't know the actor. Uh, uh, <laughs> Look at you. You're, you're yeah. into it. I'm like... Huh. Anyway, the new movie he's played right. by Donald Glover. Oh. And the movie's gonna... Uh, oh, they, they diversity. Yeah. Well, he's great. He's really great. Um, 
and and people actually the internet was clamoring for him to when it, when it came out that they were casting for a young Lando Calrissian, oh. the internet was clamoring for Donald Glover. They wanted from the start, and and they picked him, which is great. Um, but I want to talk about actually uh, one of the co-writers for Solo, a Star Wars movie, uh, Jonathan Casson, announced that Lando Calrissian is canonically right. pansexual. Mm. And this sort of is suggested in the movie, hmm. but not explicitly said, apparently. Hmm. Um, and it just led me to this thinking that this thing that's recurring, and that is um, obscurely GLB characters, right? Yeah. Characters that, that they won't show us being gay, lesbian, bi, or queer on screen, right. but that they'll tell us in the sort of like... The greater world, the greater yeah. What's the impact of that? The ephemera. What's the, yeah, the, what's the what's the impact of that in terms of um, not being forthright about it to the public in in the particular media media, you know, thing. Well, I think like I think it doesn't do anything. We don't see it, right? We hear it. We can those of us who are listening can hear it and we right. describe it to the character like sure. great high five, right? Right. But we don't actually see it on screen, right? So right. you don't get that representation on screen, right? And is that problematic? That's yeah, what, I think so. Right, that we don't right. see, we don't see uh, a strong, smart, black pansexual man yeah. on screen. Right, means that we don't see that character. We don't. Where else do we see that character? Right, right? and so we don't get it on screen. We right. see him. And same goes with with other things. I think uh, you know Dumbledore from the Harry Potter series. Yeah, there's nothing in the yeah. films that suggests. There's little in the book that would suggest. And then later. J.K. Rowling says, oh, by the way, he's gay. Yeah. And I'm like, well, great. What does that do for us now, right? The, yeah. These movies had a, a dramatic cultural impact. Sure they did. Yeah. And but wouldn't it have been great if yeah. dot, dot, dot. If included in that. Dot, dot, dot. A mentor, yeah. an older gay mentor yeah. was there helping these heterosexual children, yeah. right? Yeah, Especially yeah. considering in America, we have this history of of saying uh, gay men in particular can't be teachers because they're predators. To push back about this toxic stereotype by showing this mentor in an educational role gay would have had a huge impact. Right. And they missed that chance. Yeah. So they don't get to go back and write in like this obscurely LGBT reference. It's not not fair. Yeah. 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 And you know, I think about this a lot. Actually, I'll throw back to our lit section. I think about this a lot as a teacher um, in terms of teaching writers who are um, on the spectrum who may be queer, right? And especially Mm -hmm. about Langston Hughes and Walt Whitman, right? When I teach these two individuals in the classroom, you know, and I, mentioned to my students, well, you know, they were queer or they were bisexual or they were, you know, even Zora Neale Hurston, uh, Mm -hmm. Lorraine Hansberry, a lot of these people, their sexuality was totally, for some of them, I would say erased from, from the history kind of like, right. And you know, this is a term that I call, I call it straight washing. I'm just going to, I'm just going to, you know, straight. It's like, it's like, you know, scrubbing it until it's so straight and so clean, you know, it's presentable in the world. And I kind of think that's BS. So it reminds me of this uh, argument that you're having. in this, a similar way. I right? was taught Oscar Wilde without oh, yeah. the context of his sexuality. Right. Oscar, gay as heck, wild, right? Like <laughs> Oscar, comma, gay as heck, wild. Yeah, and so we get we get Whitman, the great American poet. Yes. We get uh, Langston, Langston Hughes, huge, the Harlem Renaissance I poet, mean, right? Huge, iconic black male poet yeah. in, in the world. And so right. we, and we erase this gayness and this right. from it, right? Right. Um, and yeah. so it, we miss the chances to, to take a real point at representation and showing the diversity of poetry, of, of movies, you know, of yeah. sci-fi, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. how great is it? First of all, how great is it that we have sort of Lando Calrissian really centered in the story? Right. That's really cool, right? right? To, right. to offer this, you know, strong, smart black characters in sci-fi. Right. And how much of it is a miss to not also be like, yeah, and he contains multitudes. He's also pansexual, right? Right, right. And I think even more importantly for that to exist in a heteronormative uh, overarching narrative, right? You understand what I'm saying? So a lot of times we see Brokeback Mountain or we see Moonlight or we see Pariah, but it's encapsulated in its own thing, right? It's about queerness, right? You understand? But it's different if these characters exist in uh, predominantly heteronormative narratives. You get a gay story, right? Right. And that's great. That's good. We right. need gay stories. We need LGBTQ sure, sure stories. Gotta have them. But we'd also like to see a great representation of the spectrum of uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression right. in stories that aren't automatically flagged as 
as LGBT, right? I totally agree. Um, and so, and one thing I like from one is I, I love, um, they actually asked Donald Glover this weekend mm. what he thought about this revelation mm. of, oh. of the character he's playing. What did he say? He said, yeah, it's Star Wars in this expansive galaxy of billions of people from billion, thousands of worlds, right? Why wouldn't you expect that most people have gotten over these sort of heteronormative assumptions of desire, right? Like, if you have aliens attracted to aliens, why wouldn't you have also people attracted to all genders? It's not explicit, though. It's not explicit. That's the... I mean, he's saying something that's really cool, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's not explicit. Agreed. Agreed. And I thought the same thing about... um, I don't know if you saw Rogue One. No. Rogue One is the other Star Wars. Yeah. Two years ago, another standalone Star Wars movie that came out. Mm -hmm. And there, you had characters that... Again, obscurely gay, right? Um, characters that, that LGBTQ people read as like, oh, that's a same-sex romance. Um, and that other audiences could ignore, right? right. They're friends. They're, right. They're ride-or-die right. friends. It's Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bert and Ernie. Yeah. Bert and Ernie. Yeah. It's like, dude, they're in the same bed yeah. together. Yeah. I mean, you know, you gotta face the facts here. All right, and we're back with the bang portion of the podcast. Yep. Elizabeth is back with us for this. Yep. Um, today we have something that we sort of scratched on in the lit portion of the podcast, but um, more than just influence, I really was going to ask everyone about um, unexpected influence. Yeah. Um, the unexpected influence that makes its way into your work. So that can be something you listen to now that's influencing your work. Something from your youth is really what I was thinking. Right, because we kind of we kind of both touched a little bit on this yeah, earlier exactly. about you know about the music and yeah. yeah, but it could be anything, right? It could be movies. Could it be movies? Could it be television shows? Yeah, could we talk be... about influences like big lit- capital L literary writers <laughs> and how they affected our work. But right. what are the unexpected influences? The places, the music, oh. the entertainment media people both in your immediate space but also celebrities whatever who have influenced uh or otherwise informed right your writing your work so i'm gonna let liz go first if she has liz is shaking her head girl you have some i have a few but um i'm gonna let you go anything it could be anything it could be you know anthony's outlined it pretty well what any other influences um on your work or places besides home and obviously dominican republic and uh harlem maybe um I mean, I guess food is a big one. Oh. It's, it's, you know, there's mention of food in probably most of the things that I write. Very um, yeah. And it's never intentional, maybe, but but also food is such a, like, you know, easy place to locate home or mm. locate, like, like where the heart of a thing is, right? And right. so that that's probably an easy one. And the second novel that's coming out is about a teen chef, right? So it's entirely, I've been thinking oh, a lot about wow. food. Um, it's cool. I'll say D.C., Right. In a way that I didn't anticipate that I read. I think place really affects how you write, not what you Mm -hmm. write, but the cadence, the rhythm of of, of writing. Um, And D.C. is a little bit slower than New York. And and the way folks talk is a little bit slower as well. And so I feel Mm -hmm. like I give room in my writing in a way that maybe I didn't when I was back home. It's so funny you say that because... DC has a reputation for being a really, really fast place. Like a really <laughs> fast place. And the only you people think? I think I do, uh, compared to, you know, people come from DC. DC is the sort of place that brings in people from right. all yeah, over It's very right? cosmopolitan. Like, yeah, it sure, is. For sure. But some of that includes people from rural areas, people from suburban areas. Yeah, yeah. So DC is considered one of these fast walking, huh, fast walking sure. places. And uh-huh. the only people who I think would really disagree with that <laughs> are New Yorkers. Like, New York. York. Maybe Tokyo, Singapore, <laughs> only these London. global cities right, would disagree right. and say, oh, DC, it's a little yeah. slowed down. <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, not necessarily slower, but it is Southern no. in comparison to yeah. where I'm coming no, from. No, no, and no, so I maybe I'm conflating yeah. Southern and slower, yeah. but that the, the, there's a, a, a different warmth yeah. here, a different, sure, like, even just how people walk. But people yeah. might walk fast. They're not walking New York fast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the writing, I think, is affected by that hmm. slight southernness, by that, you know, that the, the city has a lot going on. It has a way about how it's thought of itself and a way of how it's thinking itself now. And, it, and it's, yeah. there's a lot happening yeah. in terms of who's moving in and who's being yeah. pushed out yeah, that I feel like I was already in the middle of when I was coming up in New York. Right? Right. I was raised by Columbia University. By the time right. I reached... Gentrification. Is oh, sort of yeah. Right. By the time I reached right. 18, like, I, you know, we had lost most of our really home shops and, and things. Yeah. D.C., I think, is certain neighborhoods are undergoing that now. And so yeah. you really see that. Yeah. 
And yeah. so my work, I feel like, hmm. is contemplating what is home for you, what is home for others, who's coming in, who's coming out. And it's probably because of the lens I have. Yeah, that's interesting. Here. The pace, thinking about uh, City as pace and rhythm oh, of yeah. writing. is really, yeah. And your new novel is all prose, right? It's it all, It's not poetry. Poetry is <laughs> a shorter format. This is going back to your New York City emphasis. roots, yeah. right? Yeah. And now that you're here, bigger, longer, maybe slowed <laughs> down yeah. a little bit, you know, in terms of pace. And I also love what you said about food because I always, uh, one of the scenes that stands out from the Poet X is where uh, they're ordering uh, pizza and mom is cooking rice and beans. Yeah. Was like, it's, like, it's a yep. mixing of two yep. things together. <laughs> right, right. So food is always like an important thing. Um, I only have really one thing that I would like to say in terms of influences and it's movies. Um, it's a weird one. And um, I totally am addicted, you already know, uh, to gangster movies. I love mafia, <laughs> gangster, heist movies nice. like, of all formats. And it's very weird. Um, my uncle, who's deceased now, um, gave me the the sort of habit of watching all these. Actually, when I was a little girl, my mom used to get mad because he would take me home. Um, my uncle would and show me like Scarface. And I was like five. <laughs> you know, and I'd be like, and my eyes would be right, all big. Right, right. And I would be like, oh, man, people are getting murdered. You know, <laughs> it would just be weird and exciting to me. My mother, who was very religious, thought it was totally... The for Antichrist, sure. right? For you sure. know, but I loved it and I followed it as a as a young girl and also growing up and it became like a hobby of mine. So anyway, um in my in my first poetry collection, uh Al Pacino uh pops up in uh you know in a scene. So I think gangster movies and heist I don't know, it's a really weird thing, especially for a woman who considers herself to be a feminist, I think. I think it's weird that um, that I love gangster movies and heists. But one of the things that I uh, that I can say about gangster movies and heists and the influence on my work is that um, a lot of mafia movies are really about family. Mm. They're really about connections and loyalty and family. Of course, you know, uh, people are stealing things. Um, you know, their murders are happening, right? But at the core of that is a lot about family and trust and all those sorts of things. And I think that's always something that's been huge yeah. to me. And so that's what I like to... Um, sort of translate in my work and yeah. think about and yeah. ponder those things. So yeah, so the gangster movie, it, it's not so strange when you think about it in yeah. that respect. I don't have I don't have people dying in my poems, but but, but I do have a lot of family influence. Yeah. And so I think um, that's how the gangster movies manifest themselves in yeah. my in my work. Yeah. Can you give us an impression from any of your favorite gangster movies? No, I'm not I'm, I'm 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 not gonna do Pacino <laughs> and Scarfe. I'm not I'm not I'm not. I, I'm not. People do it better than me. I, I, I do to, other things. I, I tried to do a Godfather to uh, quote this weekend, and my partner was like, "That's the worst Italian accent." I've ever <laughs> what did you do? You should do it. What is it? My life. I won't. I won't. Uh, it was, I won't because it was the worst but just Italian us, accent I've ever what done. The mind was, at least. It was how dare you do this on today of all days, the day uh, of my daughter's wedding. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> We're going, we're going down the road. Uh, it's, weird, it's weird. You mentioned food. I, I wrote two things down here. One I'll just scratch on because it is food. I wrote, oh. I wrote short, shorthand gourmet chili dog. Mm. But I'm really thinking about, <laughs> I was really thinking about how I, I really think of my work as um, um, the, the highbrow meets lowbrow stuff, the highbrow thing that we often consider poetry, uh, scraping at lowbrow culture, the way that expensive restaurants that will do like a gourmet chili dog or you know oh. in Baltimore in Baltimore there's a new place that's doing a $24 chicken box platter oh yeah I heard about so this this it's, so it's fried chicken it's... and uh, western fries but done highbrow right? nobody's playing for that right. put and, mambo sauce on the side right. please and, and there's, <laughs> there's very good reason to read that as a terrible thing right, right. as like um, to just try food, right? For them trying to take a food and sell it back to people for an authentic feel and right. charge them five times more, right? Right. But there's also something in that where we can observe that the highbrow culture recognizing hmm. how much culture comes from the bottom up. It does. Right? How much they're looking at, at lowbrow culture and saying, like, oh, this is where new organic things are taking place. Yeah. Um, and street food and, and trying hot to steal dogs. it. And trying to steal it, yeah. So, All that. Yeah. They've done it. New yeah. York City, they've dressed up hot yeah. dogs. Yeah. You know, you go to gourmet hot dog places, and they, they know that all the culture starts, you know, in places that yeah, don't on the look ground. like on yeah. the ground. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so, so yeah, so I, I, I think a lot about that. And so, it's great you mentioned food, because I was thinking about that. The other thing I think it's probably related to that is how much, um, and this isn't surprising anyone who knows me, but surprised to those who are, are poets and, and read poetry, is how much punk rock and hip-hop. And yeah, I, I, punk rock I knew. I yeah. didn't know hip-hop necessarily. Yeah, yeah. So my older brother was really into hip-hop. Like, a lot of 90s, 80s kids was into hip-hop and metal together. That's weird. It is that weird. That combination uh, is weird to me. <laughs> um, so from him, and then on my own, I sort of came to punk rock. Yeah. Um, and particularly, there's this, this sub-genre of punk rock that a lot of people call poli-sci. 
Psy Punk, which oh. is like all these people talking about like politics and global oh. economics and stuff, like bad religion or, people, mm. or, or propaganda. Um, now I know why you're always dancing, like when Jay Z comes on. I, I've seen you. I've seen yeah. you. Yeah. So now this kind of make a little bit of sense. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah Jay Z. I, I think it that, was, that era really too. That, like uh, yeah. I guess mid nineties. Yeah, yeah, Jay Z. Nas. Yeah. Yeah. Nas. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so a, that's not, old school. All the all the students think that that's your oh, your yeah, old. Students. You say it breaks my heart. I know. You say Nas. They're like. They yeah. don't know. <laughs> Not real old school, but yeah, we're current right, college right. students our, think our is old, old school. school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, 90s is to them. Yeah. I mean, they were born in the 90s. Yeah, so <laughs> so yeah, a little bit, little of that era of hip-hop, and then uh, a little earlier on punk, so so Bad Religion, Propagandi, um, Crass, those sorts of bands mm. um, really influenced my work. In the same way that I think about Chili Dogs, right? And that it's like punk is something that seems so outside of poetry. Yeah. Um, but I still think sort of... Finding ways, like with the Shrakas, right? So yeah. finding ways to talk about the political and the personal yeah. in, in ways that are still artistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and not separating the two, not putting up walls between yeah. the two. And I think influences in terms of work, um, even though you asked us what our influences are, I mean, influences are music, they are yeah. painting, they are, you know, movies, yeah, it's all the things, you know what I mean? I mean, they say Basquiat, when he used to paint, uh, listened nonstop to jazz all the time. And mm-hmm. I thought, and that was wild to me to think like a painter was even listening to me I, you know people are like what do you think he does all day while he's painting you know I was just like so again a lot of these um, art forms go hand in hand right yeah. they're not separated from each other but they're they're in tandem to one another sure. yeah. you know so yeah All right, and that's it. That's the whole episode. We want to thank Elizabeth for joining us today. And of course, as we mentioned, Split, Split This, this Rock. Yeah, thank for you For having us and so hosting much. us. Yeah. yeah, thanks. And thank you all for joining us for the episode. From On Location in D.C. this month, this has been Lit, Pop, Bang. Bang.